All right, the wind is finally kind of, oh, nope, it's kind of coming back, but nah, it's kind of gone. Hopefully it's not. Yeah, I don't think you guys are going to pick it up too much. Yeah, uh, honestly, I want to start off first by saying thanks, man. Thanks for fucking coming here, and thanks for fucking, you know, uh, listening. Listening to this podcast. It's about to be long, drawn out of ramble, and you're about to learn a lot about the monkeys. The Arctic monkeys. I fucking love the Arctic Monkeys. They're a band that I essentially grew up with. I wouldn't say grew up with because I only learned about them in maybe 2016. First time was uh, watching uh, watching the Do I Want to Know uh, uh, <laughs> fucking the, the, the music video. My bad. But um, I remember, you know, I'm, I'm just fucking around on my computer, bored as shit, just got done playing something stupid, probably League of Legends. And, uh, you know, just wanted to see something new. I kept seeing the fucking music video pop up in my suggestions. I'm like, what the fuck? Fine, you know what? Whatever. I'll fucking watch this. Watched it. It was the coolest fucking illustration, illustrative music video I had seen. And, uh, the music, man. Like, the music just fucking blew my goddamn mind, man. It was, it was in the whole ass experience. I remember coming to school the next day. I was like, yo, man, have you ever heard of, uh, do I want to know? I'm talking to my homie. Uh, and he's like, uh, oh, yeah, the Arctic Monkeys? And I'm like, yeah, man, I barely found out about this band. He's like, what the hell? I thought you'd be listening to them for a while now. And, uh, yeah, ever since then, I've been listening to them. Like, they've always been on the number one in my Spotify uh, yearly review. They're, well, Kelly Finnegan took that shit quick. But, you know, they've always been up in the top five. There's never been a time where I haven't had them you know, fucking just playing in the background, or, you know, well, well, that sounds fucking corny, but, you know, there hasn't been a time where they haven't really just been in my life, you know what I mean, after, after that, and, uh, even though that being said, I didn't just deep dive into the band, I took it for, at its face, you know, uh, AM was the album I listened to for a good while, a huge chunk of time before I even, began to start listening to some of their other other work you know I, I started with am i got through that album then i started piecing together some of their singles like um uh what is it oh that's gonna bother me um you're so dark you're so dark that was one of them that was really uh, i liked playing it's funny it's funny too because it's like such a oh shit that dude like, how the hell am i hearing a car this deep in the forest fucking loud ass engine dude and damn but uh yeah no nah, they 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 definitely were a band that i didn't appreciate enough uh, and um i'm glad that you know i think it was after literally after tranquility base hotel and casino came out i think it was just before that that album i started looking a lot more into their other work you like uh i already knew about whatever people say i am is what i'm not honestly fucking matt's performance on uh on um damn fucking uh uh damn that, that that's embarrassing man it's fucking when i'm all i'm always like a little off when I'm thinking about it off the top of my head, but, uh, the view from the afternoon, how the fuck, how the fuck, uh, whatever, but after listening to the view from the afternoon, I remember just being, like, so, I've always loved drumming, drumming has been one of those instruments that, like, if, like, your band's not a band until your drummer is, like, like, that drummer's just fucking make it for me, man, but, uh, I remember it was that, that, that song that actually inspired me to go and pick up drums myself, I don't have the fucking time to play them often because I'm traveling all the time and 
Yeah, it, it sucks dick. I kind of want to get one of them synthetic fucking drum kicks, but enough about that. Arctic Monkeys, man, they, they are a band with a lot of fucking history. And they got started way back in 2002. That's when they finally formed. It was uh, through high school they were playing and stuff like that. They would... Actually, they didn't even start as a rock band. They started as a hip-hop and started making hip-hop instrumentals, actually. It's hilarious. I mean, when I say these guys have gone through a lot of changes and, you know, have explored what they want to do with their music, I mean it. They have gone from fucking teenage rock anthems to to fucking love songs to fucking whatever the hell fucking um, Humbug was. That shit was heavy. It was weird as shit. But with, without Humbug, we wouldn't have AM. Without Humbug, we wouldn't have Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. Alex had gone and done a lot of solo work and stuff like that, but essentially the band has always been, you know, ones to really go for what they want to do with their music, and if it's popular, good. If it's not, then, well, at least they're, you know, cultivating the, the sound that they're trying to get, and the people that will like it will like it. I see plenty of people talk about Humbug with good respects and stuff, but, oh, excuse me. <laughs> Damn, I am I am a horrible podcaster. Nah, man. <laughs> but nah, fucking uh, on a real note though, they they really did do a lot with their music, and uh, you can hear it, man. Like if you listen to Tranquility Base Hotel Casino, or after like listening to Do I Want to Know, you'll be like, who the fuck are these guys? Who the fuck are the Arctic Monkeys? Yeah, that's that that one's for you, you the fans. But anyways. So, uh, these guys, like I said, they, they started off with hip-hop, they were in love with that shit, and, uh, they even talk about, you know, Jay-Z being a big influence, and Wu-Tang Clan, Dr. Dre, and just, they, they literally did love hip-hop and R&B, you know, obviously they had other inspirations and stuff like that, but genuinely speaking, when it came to music, they really enjoyed them, and you can even hear their hip-hop influences and even am for example they had a lot of like that was the most hip-hop album that they could do with a with the rock in the rock scene that's the most hip-hop album they could have done sure they could have like doubled down but i mean for it to be a good album you know what i mean but anyway you can also hear it in some of their singles from way back in the day like they have a song called chun Li flying bird kick you ever hear that shit you could just hear matt just in the background just having the blast this dude he really did start off as a hip-hop drummer and uh it's funny too because when they got introduced to the queen of the stone age and stuff like that that's when they realized oh shit okay we need to well matt you know felt like i need to really kick up my fucking my drumming but uh anyways that's way ahead of i'm getting way ahead of myself fucking they heard the strokes and the strokes had essentially fucking changed their their entire direction it it did like 180 the fuck out of this band they went from making shitty beats to picking up guitars and you know in drums it's funny too because uh a lot of like a lot of them kind of did what like they've gotten they've gone into the instruments that they play out of necessity you have alex he's the lead singer right he is like the most socially awkward and uncomfortable person to like like he is very like he is the best lyricist that we have in a long long time and he makes like these word puzzles and you know just saying stupid shit doesn't like necessarily make a person you know a good lyricist you know because if you listen to him like let's say you listen to tranquility base hotel and casino right 
you'll you'll hear some of the shit that he says and you're like what the fuck is this dude talking about but like he's very symbolic with the, the words he uses and he you know he constantly makes sure that like like um they get they get their effect like let's say from sucking in the sea there was a what are the lines i i etched i etched the face of a stopwatch on the back of a raindrop and hearing it and hearing it with the tune and understanding like the way he expresses it and stuff like that the the it's like a kind of mournful kind of lyric it's him talking about being you know watching essentially his patience his patience and how it's fleeting essentially but i mean you could take it however you want to take it i don't know but uh back to it (laughs) you know he didn't want to be a singer at all he you know he was kind of forced into the role and matt was actually forced into the drumming role he didn't want to drum he you know alex jamie and andy andy at the time he's no longer with the band they all were bringing guitars and you know naturally matt had to step up and bring a drum so you know and he's self-taught too so to to think that he got to the level of the view from the afternoon in the span of maybe two years is fucking crazy especially since he was a self-taught artist he didn't go to school he even talks about fucking uh having issues where you know he's you know now playing and you know he's now surrounded by much much better drummers who are all incredible at what they do and you know he feels like if he ever got into a situation where like let's say when they're they're playing live and you know there there's just certain times where he doesn't feel completely comfortable in it because you know he feels like if there's ever a problem in drumming or if like musically like creating a beat or doing something he doesn't have the tools to get them there but that doesn't mean that he doesn't try and uh try he fucking does man he's he's definitely come a long way and he's definitely started out fucking incredible already then you have uh andy andy got kind of cut from the band to be honest andy andy poor dude man he went into a depression he got cut after the the first album so he didn't get to make it to the second album and how he got cut was he you know he just didn't show up you know uh fucking um they need to go touring in america north america because they can't you know they are a uk band if you've surprise surprise if you never listen to them they're from the uk they're from um Sheffield, I almost said Sheffield, California, what the hell, Sheffield, wherever the fuck that is out there, but they're from Sheffield, and, uh, you know, they, they were huge and popular already in the UK, they were actually popular before they even released their first album, they did a demo that got, it's found itself on MySpace, and, uh, they called it, or they didn't call it that, they, they used to give out demos while they were working at the, the boardwalk, and they'd play gigs, and a fan had put it on MySpace, named beneath the boardwalk a lot of people thought it was like a, at the time a lot of people thought it was an album simply because of the fact that uh it had like 18 songs on it a couple of them that never got re-released and stuff like that if you ever go on the subreddit there are like there's actually a dude that's like he he put down like a little mega thread or whatnot real fucking cool mega thread of all the lost tracks or all the tracks you know that aren't actually like officially released and stuff like that but you might be able to see on youtube or the ones that people know of but never had you know had uh had like i said been released or whatnot anyways anyways 
going back to Andy, Andy got cut because he decided to stay home and attend to family business. Apparently, some some hardships came down down the line with his family, and he couldn't make it to the tour. You know, the band was like, "All right, it's cool. You know, we'll keep you and stuff like that." But you know, after touring out there with Nick Nick O'Malley, their current bassist, they came back and they're like, "Yo, man, I'm sorry, but you're out." You know, and at first, I was really, I was like, damn, that really fucking blows. And that dude, you know, he was in a depression when that happened. And uh, like I said, man, it, it really fucking sucked. But when you start looking at, like, the difference between Andy and the difference between Nick, not just musically, but, like, Nick had grind, grinded out the entire first album, like, learning and practicing it within the span of two days. He had, like, essentially, you know, to be able to tour and stuff like that, you know, of course he's going to have to learn the music and, you know, learn the music he fucking did. And he, you know, this is just weeks before they left. So or I'm not even sure if it's weeks before they left, but, you know, this is just before they had to leave off for tour. So this dude was really fucking putting in that work. He was putting in that effort. Not just that, like a couple days before they actually had gone off on tour, one of his dipshit friends had pushed him over a wall and uh, he ended up breaking his hand, his strumming hand. And yet, you know, he still fucking comes up, he still plays and he still fucking kicks ass while they're in North America. So like they literally during their American tour, they didn't get huge off their American tour or anything like that, but they were winning, winning over a lot of people. They're making accolades out there, man. They were really, uh, really doing the damn thing. And so you know, his performance, you know, you can't say his performance was any worse or anything like that. So when you start, like, comparing, you put that kind of stuff into perspective, uh, it starts, like, kind of showing you, you know, why they chose Nick over over Andy. And it's unfortunate for Andy, but, you know, he still made a name for himself. He's in he's in the rap scene. He has a, a band named Mongrel. Matt actually played as the drummer in Mongrel for a little while, but that, that was that's way, way in the future. We're still trying to talk about, like, the early 2000s. That wasn't... The early 2002s, 2000, 2002 to like 2005 period right now. But uh, Jamie, I would love to talk about Jamie. He's their, their lead guitarist. Nick is their current bassist. Andy was their previous bassist. But anyways, Jamie, I would love to talk about him. But that dude does not like, like he does not like the public eye in, at all. None of them do. Alex had to kind of take on the face of the band because he's the singer and, you know, everybody loves the singers and shit like that. But not just that, but, uh, ooh, I'm sitting on this goddamn rock. Ah, legs are dying. But, all right, so anyway, so, uh, so, um, where was I? Yeah, Jamie, Jamie definitely doesn't like that. Like, literally, I, I remember I, I started wondering, like, I was like, when the fuck am I going to see this dude, you know, in any of these interviews? And, uh, saw him, I did. I saw, like, uh, <laughs> this interview that, it wasn't really an interview. After they accepted the Mercury Award, they, uh, you know, they're, they're doing their little walk off the stage, and you got paparazzi out there taking pictures and asking a bunch of questions and shit like that. And, you know, they're asking simple-minded kind of questions and shit and Jamie being drunk and fucking pissed off and like I said not wanting any of that he you know he just like straight up just starts trashing these people they start making fun of him he's like listen to those fucking stupid questions these people are, are asking and it's funny too because like uh 
you know, at first, Alex and the boys, they were laughing about it. And then they were realizing, oh, shit, we might fuck up our career here. And it starts getting real serious. You see, like, Alex actually trying to get the, the mic away from Jamie because Jamie is just, like, full-on popping off. And I was like, oh, okay, that that is why I'm not seeing too many of interviews with this man here. But uh, he's a real cool dude, honestly. Once you, like, uh, start seeing him in the background and stuff like that, not everybody wants to be, you know, this mega fucking rock star. They just want to make fucking music. If their music gets them to that level, it gets them to that level. But it's not like they're actively chasing down the stardom. And maybe listening to AM and stuff like that might give you the impression that they want to be rock stars and shit like that. But at the end of the day, they, you know, they still really are. Uh, uncomfortable with being in the public eye that's the entire uh, that's one of the mess many messages you hear in in tranquility based hotel and casino they even uh i mean they've always came with that energy and stuff like that their literal first album is whatever people say i am is not is what i'm not essentially they they they're constantly trying to do you know be genuine to themselves and stuff but going on uh they they themselves have a lot of history like i said we got alex as a singer he kind of uh he was actually the son of a linguist and and a music teacher uh, alex was kind of the reason why they kind of got into music they you know would go back to his house and start fucking around and then eventually they got their stuff together they started practicing in a warehouse and you know started performing and shit like that like I said, they uh, they started as an instrumental band because they really didn't want to sing. You know, nobody wanted to be the person that, you know, has to do it. They actually ended up getting another person to sing for a little while. And uh, that guy didn't last. He, you know, he stepped away from the role. And that's when Alex had to take it up. And, you know, the rest is kind of history. Jamie, uh, actually, I think at this point, the band together, the boys have been, like, they've been childhood friends, uh, Matt and Alex at least, and uh, from Matt and Alex, I think Jamie came along during high school, and Nick came along a little bit later in high school or whatnot, but uh, oh, I'm not sure about Andy, I'm pretty sure Andy came from high school as well, uh, so sad to, like, not, not talk about him too much, but, you know, it's, it is what it is, he's not a part of the band anymore, and that's, that's unfortunate, but, uh, Anyways, let's let's go on. Let's move on. They, uh, like I said before, they were playing shows and they, you know, they recorded themselves. They, it was funny. Their their recording style. They wanted to make the, the songs on the album or the songs that you hear, you know, just the songs that they recorded as close to what they would perform as possible. So they would, you know, have their whole, you know, brass live live kind of feeling. That's why when you listen to if you ever listen to whatever people say I am is what I'm not, or Humbug, for example, or uh, f Favorite Worst Nightmare. I think Humbug, too, but Humbug is when they start kind of going more into the studio and, like, actually trying to play around with, with studio sounds and shit. But if you ever listen to the, their first two albums, you'll know, right, you can tell right away it's, like, very different from, like, their last two albums, for example. So what that is is that they, they used to play their songs live in the studio or where they recorded it or whatnot so they wouldn't really take all the like individual steps like if you ever see anybody you know if you know anything about music or the background production of music usually you'll have your drummer you know your drummer and your bass start out you know start out with the recording and stuff like that so you can get that beat and you can you know there's there's a process to it is basically what i'm trying to say and you know most of the time you'll have them recorded individually rather than all together 
and um, that tries to keep the integrity of the sound or whatnot, right? But you know, it their mindset at the time was that they couldn't, you know, con- keep up with that kind of oh, what the fuck? Oh shit! Fucking lizard just got got. <laughs> All right, hold on. That <laughs> fucked with me. Ah shit! You know, I actually just realized that. Oh, get the fuck away from me, fucking fly! I just uh, realized that I didn't even say where I was right now. I'm out out here in. Uh, I'm I'm still in the same spot that I was when I recorded the introductions. So I'm out here in Mount Mount Lemon in Tucson, Arizona. Real fucking beautiful place. It's a nice forest area. If you know anything about Arizona, Arizona is a pretty fucking desert and I, I mean like desert fucking state. It's, you know, the wild, wild west out here. But uh, if you go up a mountain, you're going to find a fucking pine wood forest and, you know, get to be back in that kind of, like, woodland nature kind of vibe and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's real cool. Damn, I actually forgot where the hell what I was talking about. Oh, shit. <laughs> I think I was talking about their studio approach and stuff like that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, nah, fucking... Um, they were they were real heavy into you know trying to make their 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 music live and you know so that they don't have to deal with the with a drop off of quality or of sound when they you know go and perform the shit in you know in some bar with their you know with their shitty because if you if you're not the type of person to go to venues and you know go see live performances and stuff like that it it can be you know it could be kind of hard it could be very noisy it could be very you know just i don't know it's very different to listen to a live performance than it is like and i mean like a small time live performance i'm not talking about you know if you go see the arctic monkeys now play live they still have literally they they even had an issue with uh with um damn what what concert was it that they were talking about there was one time that they were playing for, you know, I don't I don't know. They were playing some big, big fucking show. And um, they, you know, they were basically just doing the whole fucking fake it kind of thing where they're lip syncing and pretending that they're actually playing. But, you know, they, they were playing their songs and stuff like that. But it was essentially a recording and stuff. You actually can see. Uh, well, no. OK, this is two different times. But you know they they talked about it and they talked about you know not liking that kind of approach and stuff like that i remember there was one time where nick nick's fucking or guitar or amp i think i'm not sure if it was the guitar or the amp that got fucked up and you just couldn't hear him play bass anymore and he just was like all right fuck it and just stood there and started drinking water (laughs) and kind of dancing around a little bit just looking like a fucking chode I fucking love that dude. He's hilarious, man. He is he is a funny dude. He he's, he really is when you start watching his interviews and shit. But uh yeah, was it was it Nick or Jamie? Pretty sure it was Nick. I don't know. I might be wrong. I'm sure somebody's going to fucking fact check me, but you know, he, whoever did it was fucking hilarious. And Nick is genuinely a hilarious kind of guy. But going back to it, fucking they they recorded it so that when you listen to them live, it's not all that different from listening to their album and stuff like that. And uh, like I said, Boardwalk, that the Boardwalk little demo ended up on MySpace, and this is the time where the internet was really starting to pop off, and you know people took that and ran with it. They didn't care. They didn't care that they weren't making any money off of it. It was getting their name spread out there, and you know fans were just fucking flocking to them and stuff like that. They might not know where you know where to go, or you know it wouldn't been a 
big enough thing to like try and hunt them down like if you're let's say in tucson arizona you might not go all the way to san diego to listen to a small time band because at the time they were a small time band but you know it's good that you had the internet that could at least give you that access to them and stuff like that because this is before they you know had cds to spare and send out or for you to really buy you know this was when you couldn't go on amazon to go and buy a fucking arctic monkeys demo but uh you know going past that fucking um they uh where was i where was i going with this <laughs> this is this is yeah i don't i don't know how who's gonna want to listen to this shit but uh, <laughs> yeah i was talking about the fucking beneath the boardwalk and going forward from there so uh so past the beneath the boardwalk this this probably sets us in like 2004 so this is two years after they had started the band and they're already starting to get some pretty good fucking traction and i mean some pretty damn good traction off myspace and just you know people's word of mouth and honestly if you're a band that's good enough to get people to start spreading your 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 name out there and stuff like that you're already doing something good you don't need to depend on you know uh you don't basically you just don't need to depend on trying to get like fucking spotify or trying to buy advertisements and shit like that if you genuinely have a good enough sound people are going to spread the message man trust me i'm the people (laughs) but uh yeah they they gone they they went pretty quickly after that they went to start making eps they made five minutes with the arctic God, it sounded like my voice was cracking. I said, <laughs> but nah, they made five minutes with the Arctic Monkeys. It was a, it was a really good EP. They got some fucking, they got some pretty, pretty nice little re recordings and and uh, and recordings on there. I liked it a lot. They did have this like kind of shady fucking um, shady way of doing it. So like the story goes is that they uh, like let's just say uh, some random record label was created by some anonymous name like there's no name given or anything like that two days after it was created and established it just got sold mysteriously just sold mysteriously like you know the 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 not even sold but the owner just abandoned it only two days after and then maybe two weeks later two three weeks later not even a month later the arctic monkeys label comes and claims it and uh yeah starts uh starts creating uh creating their cds and vinyls for uh, from there i think they made probably it was like less than two thousand it was probably one point five thousand but um you know um they they revised fake tales from uh from san francisco and from ricks to rabble on there these are songs that were on the demo and actually a lot of the um a lot of the songs that are on the demo are you know, were just basically re-recorded and split into their EPs, their singles, and then the rest onto their album, and the album was doing real well, but anyways, uh, after that, I think they had gone off to play at a music festival for amateur artists, and that's when they got picked up by an actual label, they got picked up by Domino Recording, and, uh, Alex, surprise, surprise, is kind of a little bit of a control freak, apparently. So they kind of liked the idea of having like a do-it-yourself kind of record label where, you know, they don't have someone on the back end trying to fucking, you know, constantly fuck with them or, you know, shift their direction in whatever way that, you know, they think is more marketable rather than, you know, whatever they think is, you know, letting the band perform and be creative and stuff like that which honestly is a fucking phenomenal move like sometimes you have to be just selfish with with what you're doing you know 
if you're not selfish and you're not like willing to like really go out on a limb with your whatever you're doing in life and stuff like that you know people are gonna fucking you know they're gonna take a they're gonna that maybe they do it intentionally and maybe they do it unintentionally and stuff like that but they're gonna change your direction and change your trajectory man you gotta be uh you gotta really be on your shit but anyways they got picked up by domino they started releasing a couple more singles and by 2006 they had released whatever people say i am and that shit like when i say that they fucking oof when i say that these guys like fucking blew up i mean like Oh my god, they were, they are, they like literally by the end of the first week, they had 360,000 sales of, you know, of, of records, and that might not sound like a big ass number to you right now, but when you put it into perspective, this is when rock was still dying, they, they were, they were bringing rock back essentially, the Strokes, the Strokes and Queen of Stone Age for sure were heavy in that kind of thing, but you know, that age, this time was a time of dying and stuff like that, it wasn't, it wasn't good for the, for the industry, but, uh, thanks to the internet and thanks to them already having so much out there and people having the accessibility to them they you know they fucking blew up man they topped the fucking charts they have the fat they had the fastest selling debut album in uk history at the time i think adele holds it now adele has some fucking stupid ass numbers though so i mean she's fucking adele and uh yeah but you know this is a band that literally had started maybe less than four years ago and had done everything themselves and you know have gone to this extreme where their very first very first album just blows up to that degree and like with very very limited kind of uh you know uh media kind of exposure and stuff like that like literally they like i said before man they're not the band to try and hunt down success and shit like that they don't try to have a bunch of random interviews with random places unless they absolutely have to and you can see when they fucking have to they they do it and stuff like that but even when they when they have to you know you can see there's a little bit of reluctance in there that's why you don't really see nick or or jamie talk more than they have to because you know matt and alex have definitely been the two that you know have taken on the role of you know being the face of the band alex especially but matt they they both really did they they share the kind of responsibilities for it and uh it's it's cool man it's real cool the what whatever people say on M album was definitely a good one man and it, it was goddamn they got some fucking bangers like i said they have the view from the afternoon and that's the song that got me into wanting to drum and stuff like that and uh shout out to danzer drums at danzer drums if you want to fucking get good ass lessons he does like uh e lessons and all that kind of garbage and <laughs> he's a real cool dude he's got his own shit going on i i really appreciate that dude i got much love and respect for him but uh yeah he's he's helping me with my drumming a little as well and anyways back back to the monkeys man that uh the fucking um the uh that album they oh yeah they actually released the view from afternoon they released a music video for it and funny enough that shit was actually like kind of a retelling of the story of buddha i don't know if you know anything about buddhism i know fuck all about buddhism i actually kind of learned the most I've learned about Buddhism was literally from a fucking Arctic Monkeys music video. So, you know, I ain't no enlightened individual that you might, you know, think I am. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, apparently that that was basically their retelling of the Buddhist story. And I think it was pretty cool. You should definitely check it out. By the end of it, he reaches Nirvana. And, uh, yeah, he gets his fucking head bashed in. But, 
yeah, yeah, it, it happens. <laughs> they also released like a little uh, fucking short film called Scummy Man, where they uh, they talk about you know they they basically highlight the prostitution that they see in uh, in the in Sheffield. And honestly, the the what what makes this album so great and stuff like that is it's a very honest and a very like very when I say honest, I mean a very precise kind of you know telling of events that's going on around them they're not creating these random makeup make-believe stories it's alex over here actually just talking about the things that he sees around him and you know yeah you follow the band and you listen and stuff like that and you'll see that that's essentially what they've always done and always will continue to do is just you know make almost narrative pieces about things that are going on around them like uh that whole uh what is it uh fiction imitates life or whatever whatever the fuck the saying goes you know you know what i'm trying to say but uh yeah no nah, they uh they definitely have the whole thing going down with uh with that album man they they got fucking big man that shit that went from them being a small time band to them being one of the literally one of the best bands at the time just over the period of a couple months to be honest like you know obviously they've been playing and they've been cultivating their songs for years but you get what i'm saying it was just like a snap and they're they're at where they are and that you know that that really did shake them up a lot like the whole media attention and all that stuff like i've said numerous times before they didn't like that shit and uh unfortunately after it wasn't immediately after this album it was more so closer to when they released who the fuck are the arctic monkeys when they released oh when they released that EP, that was the last thing that Andy had done. Because at this point, it was Andy, Alex, and Nick. And, or, whoa, what the fuck? Andy, J- Amy, Alex, and Matt. And then the whole thing with the tour, the North American tour, to try and get their name out there uh, happened. And, you know, they came back and they're like, yo, man, you're getting the fuck out. We like Nick too much. And get the fuck out. He did. It's unfortunate, too, because... Uh, uh if you if you see the album cover or whatnot you might think it's like uh one of the members or anything like that it's not it's not them it's not their family it's not the brothers it's actually one of their friends and uh you know uh they were playing a show and um andy and that guy his name's uh chris chris mcclur chris mcclur <laughs> that dude he uh you know, he he was like, yo, fuck these guys. <laughs> it's kind of funny. You know, I know they don't have any bad blood to each other anymore. But, you know, at the time, like I said, that's a pretty, pretty fucking, pretty rough, rough deal, man. But, yeah, yeah, it, you know, it is what it is. And I hope, I hope they're doing good. Andy has made a name for himself in other ways. And Chris McClure is doing whatever Chris McClure is doing. And, you know, the band is doing what they're doing. And everybody is, you know, happy. You know, why fucking let let me remind you, this is some shit that actually has taken place almost 20 years ago. So don't think that like there's still drama there. And if there is, well, they can fucking take it to the streets. (laughs) But uh, yeah, going past that, you know, they've been successful and, you know, they have the option to either, you know, tour the same album for the next however many months or alternatively double down and make another album and uh make another album they did with favorite worst nightmare and favorite worst nightmare is basically taking everything that they did in the last album and setting that shit on fire and when i say fire i mean setting that shit onto like 11 they they amped up like if you thought the first album had like you know like let's say view from afternoon if you think like 
the evolution of the band, a perfect way to describe it is look at View from the Afternoon and then look at Brian's Storm. Not Brainstorm, Brian's Storm. When you watch, when you when you see the two these two songs, that is like the best way to explain what they were doing at that you know with the with the second album. They essentially amped everything up, and you know they uh, they continued and they continued on. Uh, that was Nick's first album with the song with the band. Like I said, he just recently had you know swapped over. He uh, I think he helped write uh, Balaclava. I like that song a lot. I don't know if I'm saying it right. It's I know the word. I'm not retarded it's just that it's not something you really say like in america we say ski mask we don't say blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but yeah in, anyways motherfuckers uh they uh they popped out with that album and next thing you know it does just well it doesn't do just as well but you know it's another fastest debut i didn't i didn't say this before but their their first album like literally sold more than all of the top 20s combined and here they are doing it exactly again with this album like though it didn't have as many sales i think it ended up with like like a hundred less it was like 200 200,000 220,000 or some shit and uh you know in total sales in the first week or whatnot they still are <laughs> that's that's still a fucking huge ass number for them at the time and uh they uh you know they they definitely uh definitely at this point were you know fucking low-key rock stars you know they were they were they could have been uh, I, I won't say they're a household name but i'm pretty sure you know most people at the time were like at least heard their music on the radio of course they got a lot of radio play and shit like that and uh they were just being thrown awards left and right they were just you know really making the runs and uh you know as they should they're a fucking phenomenal band and they've done they were doing well for themselves and you know it really all of it like boils back down to the fans you know really getting their name out there and stuff like that because they really didn't do the all the press and really tried as hard as they could to you know try and shake the right hands and you know fucking you know push forward in that kind of way they weren't trying to cut deals with people but get the hell away from me you fly I remember, like, their, what's the word, animosity towards the media, and, and not just the media, but uh, towards, like, uh, being just kind of puppets and stuff like that, they they ended up playing a show, uh, they, they ended up playing live for a, uh, a show, it was like a talk show or something, all dressed up in clown suits to try and make an, a, you know, make an expression, make a, you know, make a statement, I should say, but, uh, yeah, nah, they they did a, they did a lot. They did a they did a lot for themselves, and they even they okay, just to continue on about the animosity thing. They even went back to released music under a different name. I've I've talked about it. I think in the introductions, but uh, they they you know while they were choosing names for the band, there was another name called the Death Ramps. They got this from motorbiking. They used to you know motorbike. They really ended it in the BMX or whatnot, and wherever the hell they were there was a bunch of hills that they had named the death ramps probably because people probably fucking you know ate shit a ton there and uh yeah so death ramps was what they went with the name and death ramps it is you know and uh they uh or well they didn't go with the name because they they're obviously the arctic monkeys not the death ramps but they went back and started releasing music under the name death ramps just so that you know they don't have to 
I don't have to have that shit correlating with them. Eventually, you can find it all on Spotify and stuff like that. But, you know, that's just me trying to get the point that, you know, they weren't just constantly trying to um, trying to impress anybody or trying to, you know, trying to, you know, chase after some fucking, you know, some mountain of cash or anything like that. And I think I think this would put us in 2007. And a little after that, they did take a break. They, you know, they took a break. I think Alex went to start his own solo band uh, with Miles Kane. Miles Kane was one of the the guitarists he would play with, and uh, they would perform. They they would perform live and stuff like that. Essentially, they were touring together, and they had became good friends and decided, you know, yo, fuck it, let's start making a little bit of music on the side. Miles Kane, where does where does he come from? Ah, damn. How am I forgetting about the band name? But he, he's a pretty good artist. He came from another big, you know, kind of big uh, band. Uh, and, um, you know, they wanted to explore their own kind of music. And so they created their own little gig and called it the Last Shadow Puppets. This is when, like, this is in 2008. So that would be the age of understand understatement, excuse me, not understanding. But uh, they had, um, they had, you know, released a couple different... Um, albums and or not they only they've only actually released two albums i think in total and i don't know if they've really released a bunch of singles or anything like that but uh they you know they definitely had their their whole uh, little moment and stuff like that and if not for that their time that the time that alex had stepped away from the band and started like like going and exploring that shit we would not have suck it and see we would not have tranquility base hotel and casino and then the time he spent working on his own and the projects and shit like that in alternative projects really did help cultivate you know who they are now and i i think you know it like i, I think it definitely needs to be said that you know in the album you know you can say what you want about the album i enjoy it i like uh some songs from it like uh like um vertigo is that an understatement oh should know that vertigo damn i don't know if it's on that album actually that'd be embarrassing but yeah yeah Anyway, essentially what I'm saying is if Alex did not, you know, constantly pursue music and pursue rather than, you know, they could have done it this way. They could have, you know, constantly had made the same. Like like I said, the second album really just doubles down on what everything the first album did. Then you go to Humbug and Humbug is definitely a direction and a like a complete spin from what they were doing at the time and stuff like that. So, um you know, that comes from them trying to follow what they want to make as music and stuff like that. And, you know, bringing it out there for, for the people and stuff like that. So uh, Alex did that. And I think during that time, Matt was kind of doing remixes. He was he yeah, Matt is really a cool dude. I got, I got a lot of respect for him. He, he's also a photographer, too. He, I mean, he's not like a published photographer or doing anything like that. But he has an Instagram account. He's really the only member, I think, that has an Instagram because uh alex doesn't even know how to use fucking technology dude he like literally if you look at the uh uh what was it the um the damn um why'd you only call me when you're high video you like he he doesn't pull out like an iphone he doesn't pull out anything he pulls out like a legit nokia fucking phone and that's not a uh that's not like a um a prop just that they use because you know why not but like the dude legit just hates technology and does not try and understand it to any degree and that's why they you know that kind of goes into the whole vintage feel of the of the, their last album but 
pushing for it, man. Uh, Matt was doing remixes. I think he did some TV appearances, and you know, he uh, he ended up doing a mixtape called The Late Night Tales. And I feel like, like I said before, they were really heavy into hip hop, UK hip hop, English or American hip hop, all sorts, man. So that is another very good example of their love for it. Matt is a huge hip hop head, and it's hilarious. And uh, I brought up Andy and his band, the Mongrels, right? And, or not the Mongrels, but Mongrel. His band, Mongrel. So that's when uh, that, like I said, that's that's back in 2008. That's when Matt kind of joined and helped help there. He didn't he didn't stay in the role or anything like that. I know, I think I don't think Mongrel still make music. I know Andy makes music, but I don't think the Mongrels make or Mongrel makes music. And uh, yeah, there there was a there was a huge change uh, when it came to 2008 for them. They uh, Jamie, for example, he used to be a background singer, but you know he he gave that shit up. You don't hear him sing at all. I, when I say that dude, <laughs> that dude is background as hell, man. I'll say if if <laughs> if he didn't have to play the guitar, and I'm not saying he is too or anything like that, but like I feel like if 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 he could, I feel like he would really just be you know just that guy that you're like, who the hell is that? And he really is that guy who's embodied that whole ass energy. But uh, 2000, like I said, 2008 was a big year of change for him and stuff like that. Oh, how fucking lame, man. The fucking, uh, my laptop had died while I was recording out there in the fucking forest. So here we are back at the hotel and trying to fucking finish off the rest of this, uh, the rest of this episode. My bad when I said, uh, Vertigo, Vertigo, my dumbass, man. I'm fucking talking about mini mansions, and that didn't come out until 2015, but, uh, uh, The Last Shadow Pup is the stage of an understatement. I just really like fucking Vertigo song, but anyway, um, they had, they had, they had Cotton Like You. Cotton Like You was a real popular song. I really enjoyed that one, too. You definitely should check it out if you want, but, uh, you know, like I was saying, you know, the 2008 was just a big leap of faith when it came to, you know, what direction they wanted to go. And it kind of helped lead them towards good old Josh Holm from uh, from Queen of the Stone Age. It's funny, too, because um, Matt had talked about how Queens of the Stone Age had um, a big, like I said, a, a big influence on how he started changing his drum pa- uh, drum beating and, and just his performance. He, they basically had set a kind of a, uh, a bar that he wanted to, you know, reach. And uh, next thing you know, they go from, you know, they essentially go from being fans of these artists and a lot of ways fans of a lot of artists to working with people they worked with josh holmes to create humbug they fucking did that shit out there in joshua tree uh they they went to josh how long were they out there they on they honestly recorded a lot of fucking tracks for uh humbug but only about 10 of them i think they recorded 24 in total they did like 12 in joshua tree with josh with josh home and uh another 12 again with james ford after the tour so like how, how to put it they just released a fuck ton or not released but they just recorded a fuck ton of songs i'm pretty sure most of the shit that went into uh into the later half of of humbug the 12 songs that they had recorded after they toured it um i'm pretty sure most of that went into sucking and see because you know at the end of the day humbug is only a 10 track record and i don't know what the fuck happened but they definitely, they definitely fucking started pursuing that whole uh, heavier, that that just, just massive shift 
I mean, like a big fucking change between what they were making beforehand. You know, like I said, the first two albums, they, you know, were essentially, you could see how they, you know, can flow into one another and stuff like that. But Humbug was definitely a big, big change in the genre, like just the genre overall. And like I said, they got out there with uh, Josh Home and uh, it just brought a lot of, it brought, it brought, a, l a lot of creativity into the band and stuff like that uh, you know that mean that you know they got to explore and do things do things in the in the group that they never had done before they you know recorded these tracks they recorded 12 songs with the uh, homes and joshua tree and then did another 12 after finishing the tour with james ford and I'm not sure where, where, what happened to, like, because basically they had 24 songs all together, but I'm not sure if they had gone, some of them had gone to Sucking the Sea or wherever the hell they had gone off to. But, um, yeah, playing with Josh Holmes definitely helped elevate them in a lot of ways. I like, uh, even though the album, like I said, was a huge shift. So, of course, a lot of the fans were not all that great about it, you know? When you, it's just like if you listen to the Beatles and then out of nowhere the Beatles had dropped, like, some fucking hip-hop or some shit like that, you might be like, what the fuck? So, they, they didn't really get the best it, like they didn't have the best responses funny enough too because the next time they made an album they actually released the album before they essentially released it online before like for free where you can go on the on the site second and see you could you could have gone on the site and just listened to it in its entirety before you even bought the fucking the, the record and that that goddamn thing still fucking topped the charts when it uh came out but uh before we get to sucking a C, I mean, Humbug was the first time that they actually really tried to start diving into the whole studio production and stuff like that. They started adding extra, extra um, instruments. They had, you know, keyboards, they had xylophones, they had some fucking random shit called a glockenspiel. I'm, like, I'm, I'm almost 100% sure that they only used it for the sake of its own name. <laughs> in general like i don't even know what the fuck it looks like i never heard of this goddamn thing until i started digging into it but you know uh they you know they started doing a lot more stuff where they were like recording individual individual instruments or making like multiple versions of their recordings with or without certain things and uh it was the first time that they really had been in a studio for an extended period of time. Beforehand, they would, you know, just like, for example, whatever people... No, well, this is more so the demo. But, uh, for example, when... Uh, let me get my laptop away because I'm not trying to have you guys fucking hearing this goddamn thing wheezing on itself. But, uh, for example, with uh, whatever people say I am, they, uh, you know, are at least the the beneath the boardwalk demo i know that they had um they only had the one day the one day to record and you know they better make that shit as good as they can because you know they're not going to get another chance to and they essentially did the same thing going forward or whatnot or just not really being too studio heavy and with the help of josh holmes and like you know just just it humbug man i'm just i can't get it I can't say it enough is it's an album that had a lot of important lessons the group would learn and take with them matt said it himself making it a top contender he said it's one of his favorite albums because you know like i said it, they grew they learned a lot from it and the entire experience and shit like that weird ass album you might not like it you might love it you know there's definitely songs in it that are pretty good that uh that i appreciate but you know like 
it's definitely one of those ones that will, you know, you either like it or you don't. And there's like soft in between, I guess. <laughs> but uh, what, happened, what comes after that? I think uh, after that, since this is 2009, I think uh, somewhere in 2010 and 2011, Alex had gone off and done it, done his um, submarine project where there was a movie, a little some kind of coming of age kind of film or whatnot where uh, he basically did the the soundtrack for it. He helped assist it, but he made an entire album for it. And, you know, a lot of it gets played in the movie. And, well, it's a movie soundtrack, so, of course, it's going to get played in the movie. But, you know, that's some shit that he had done in between because the next Arctic Monkeys uh, record wouldn't come out until 2011. And that would be, you know, 2009 to 2011, two-year gap. You know, he stayed really busy, honestly. Honestly, him and Max stayed very busy, but Alex especially, man, he was going for, he was really going for it. He was pushing a lot of different, you know, a lot of different um, venues. I think, I'm not sure if that, by this point, he already had started producing for some other bands and stuff like that, but, you know, he really did truly start, like, getting more and more in contact with other artists and, you know, listening to their, well, not listening to their music, well, yes, listening to their music, but not just listening to their music, but actually helping them create their music and doing production work and doing, you know, like, writing for other people and stuff like that. It's, you can just see that, you know, he's always had that, like, ambition for it and the, the fire. So, like I said before, what the... With Humbug, it was a very polarizing album. So bad that, like, you know, a lot of fans felt like, you know, that they had, you know, when when you see your what you think of the band just take a complete shift in, in like, a 180 in, in direction, you start kind of freaking out. And to kind of avoid that again, they literally just released Suck It and See. Well, well before the, um, I think it was like a week before, honestly, before it, uh, it would have officially released and you can buy it and purchase it and stuff like that. They released it. I, they actually kind of came over some controversy when they were trying to fucking figure out the name for it. Suck it and see is just like, try and find out essentially. That's basically what it means. It's just, you know, fucking a, uh different saying that they use out there in the uk or whatnot like i mean they could have they they talked about wanting to name the fucking album blonde sonic rape alarm and if it, uh, basically sucking and see out here in the states wasn't fucking flying i know fucking that rape alarm shit wouldn't fly either but if you buy the album now if you actually buy it now you won't actually see like they cover the the name of the album until you you know with the plastic little wrap with the sticker and this little sticker, you know, just has the name of the band or whatnot. And then you rape, rip, you rape, you rip it off, and uh, you know, it's it says right in there uh, the whole sucking and see thing. But that's just small controversy. It's nothing real major or anything like that. I think they worked with James Ford again to produce this one, and uh, they were trying to go for something that was a lot more, you know, uh, uh, friendly for you know audiences and stuff like that because humbug was like a very deep dive into that direction a dive that was important and you know something that they would have to that that you know they like i said they needed to do be able to bring us to what they are now but it was still you know a very awkward and you know very harsh kind of change so to have a soft album fucking released right after that it's real good man they uh they really tried to 
avoid using the heavily produced studio production style of Humbug. They they leaned away from that a lot, actually. They were focusing a lot more time on rehearsing the songs together before recording the, uh, the live takes. And uh, they actually had a couple other names for the 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 album actually fucking um uh what was it rain shaped shimmer trap uh the thundersuckle fuzz cannon and just all sorts of shit they were even gonna call it thriller but you know when you when you think of like the random shit that they would be calling this album it makes it real easy to see why they called tranquility base hotel and casino what it was it's pretty they're pretty fucking creative with their with their uh naming scheme they uh they have pile driver watts in that waltz in that song or in the in that album and um that actually came from the submarine album i talked about earlier that uh, alex had made for the for the movie and they just redone it in there. The honestly, Suck It and See is one of their best albums, in my opinion. Like they have good music all the way through, but Suck It and See has some of the, the the like like definitely some of the better better work or whatnot, and like a lot more of the intro. Like it, it's a real good showcase of his uh, of Alex's songwriting and his um his just lyrics too. Like how well he can create these these little little atmospheres and stuff like that. I know. What's the name of the song? Um, love is a love is a fucking laser quest. My bad. My fucking my fucking brain just kind of completely just shit on itself just now. But yeah, love is a laser quest. That song is really fucking good. And um, honestly, they they have a couple other like library pictures on there, and you know it's it's a pretty sound fucking album. But you know it you can hear the difference of of quality of sound and stuff like that even in this album compared to the last few. No, they have they oh but that that album actually has Matt sings in it. He uh he's the lead singer in Brick by Brick and uh not a lot of I, I hear people don't really you know, I've seen people, you know, be on the fence or dislike that album or not that album, that song or whatnot. Usually people fucking love that album. But uh it's alright. I mean I ain't, I ain't got no problem with it. The uh the like I said though was the the band fucking released their the album a couple days before it um actually officially released for purchase and stuff like that. They had released it a couple maybe a week or so beforehand. And you know, this was literally just because Humbug was just such a fucking mess or not a mess, but just such a difference and stuff like that. They wanted to have it, you know, be available to the audience and they know what they're buying, you know what I mean? But um it just blows my mind that even even with them fucking doing that, they still were able to top the charts. And, you know, of course they don't. At this point, they, you know, this album's not selling as well. I don't think they really ever sold as well as they did the first time around. Maybe AM sold just about the same, but nah, they, they you know, they didn't have in, as many first day sales. Because at this point, we already have like Apple and we have already have um, um, like uh, Spotify and, you know, iMusic and stuff like that. So you really don't necessarily need to buy a whole ass album unless you're like fucking a dedicated ass fan. But, you know why buy why buy the next like tranquilly base hotel and casino for example uh i just listened to the entire thing the day they released it off spotify or you can go on youtube or anything like that but you know still they still topping the charts and shit but uh i think oh going forward from that you got in 2012 they started they actually played for the they played live for the olympics in 2012 they actually uh it's funny i said beatles earlier but uh they had um covered the beatles song come together and honestly i think that shit sounds fucking fire that i like that i like it a lot it, to me it sounds like something that 
the Beatles, if they were in this present day and age and stuff like that, that would be to a degree. That's how I can imagine they would actually have had it performed or sung it, you know, if they had created it today rather than. And I'm not saying it's like some massive change or anything like that, but you can hear like you can hear the differences between the two. And it just sounds a lot more modern than, than the original song. And of course, the song wasn't trying to become some 2020 2000s uh song 2020 um 2012 i should say but right after 2012 man they you know they they were already back on the saddle and that's when am got released i know uh are you mine was the the first it was the baby child the baby child of the of that album and it really started the whole trend of it and this was like a massive shift from um from what they were doing still, you know, it was kind of like a, a return, because Suck It and See is mostly love songs and shit like that, but it, it was like kind of a return to the, to the nightlife, and just, like, honestly, when I, when I think of AM, I put it like this at this point, is that AM is a good description of what they, like, not description, but it's a good example of what they can do, like, when they want to invest into that whole, you know, uh, studio, and just, like, really, show the world who the fuck they are but tranquility base hotel and casino is like their like literal life's work and like you know the 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 um how do you say it the example of their entire careers and their life's work and stuff like that and what i mean by that is that am you know they made it and you know of course they put a lot of effort and work into it and stuff like that but am is the sound that you know that they provided for the people essentially and tranquility based hotel and casino is the sounds that they were like kind of always aspiring uh aspiring to to play especially alex himself when you hear him uh you hear his uh his work with the last shadow puppets or anything that's like kind of outside of the band even inside the band like suck it and see and humbug you can kind of see where you can easily see when you start piecing it all together how they ended up over there and uh am was definitely a uh, a step along that road they did i think they were back in joshua tree for this one no um were they i think i'm pretty sure do i want to know was made in joshua tree and actually a lot of the album was worked through it and man this this album they uh they released it just like second and see they released it a couple days beforehand and uh it just like every <laughs> every other album they've made so far has fucking hit the top of the charts and it actually made the made them the band because this is number five the first band to ever release five consecutive albums in the uk that hit number one each and every time and am is like collectively a mass of everything they've done before and it's still mixing rock and hip-hop and r&b the album i think has gone platinum like over four times four times maybe four or five i don't i don't even remember but it's just it's like such a fucking big album for them and stuff like that and um hmm, they uh they they really they really had found a found something beautiful in it and uh it's funny too, cause when you start like breaking down the the beats and you you know you you start like as a music lover and and someone that like listens to all sorts of genres and stuff like that, they really do have an R and B and hip hop kind of vibe to it. It's like the most Dr. Dre album that they have, honestly. And um, they you know they took inspirations not just from fucking you know hip hop and stuff like that. When you think of like number one party anthem, that shit is like an Elton John kind of song. Elton John is fucking awesome. I definitely want to talk about Elton John one day, but you know, today 
I'll keep it on AM. And, uh, yeah, they they definitely, you know, they definitely aren't afraid to pull from other venues and stuff like that. And fucking, uh, you know, um, you know, take inspiration and use it to create, you know, what they what they want or like play around with different sounds and stuff like that. And um, I think I think it's just it's just like such a crazy thing to see like how well of a band they are and how well they can do and stuff like that. And, you know, they shift, they shifted their, their back, they, they shifted back into a more studio approach with it. And, uh, they started introducing like the piano, the organ, uh, I think they had like a a drum machine or some shit in there and, you know, just took it a lot more step by step recording each, you know, each piece separately or together sometimes. And, you know, just really fucking grinding it out in the, in the studio. I think James Ford really had them doing some fucking work in there but uh they you know oh shit actually there was um far forget that uh that i want to be yours i want to be your i want to be your i want to be yours god damn i want to be yours is a um actually a poem from a guy named john john cooper clark john cooper clark is the reason why they why alex even wants to sing with a british accent you know because a lot of artists in the day and you know like for example liddell she she's a good artist where you can't really like unless someone told you she's from the uk you wouldn't really know but until you like watch her fucking uh watch her uh watch her sing or not sing but like speaking wise you wouldn't really catch it as uh, at first or whatever but um but you know fucking um Alex had always came with the approach of like you know staying true and using his his little accent to to you know to its fullest essentially and you can always tell that they're you know from the UK for the most part and um, John Cooper Clark was the one that inspired that he listened to one of his poems and that dude is like legit crazy he looks like looks like some Albert Einstein kind of guy but uh yeah it's it's funny it's funny that you know they they loved it so much that they had actually used it and that's not the only thing that they did they also um they um what's his name Alan Smith you know mad sounds the mad sounds the course from that is actually from Alan Smith and when he was playing with a band many, many years ago, he had uh, made Man of Sounds and he had sung it to, to, to the band at one point and they really enjoyed it and would sometimes, you know, repeat it or, you know, it kind of stuck with them and they finally had found a, uh, uh, they finally have found a good uh, time to use it and what better time than AM. I actually really like that song, Mad Sounds. It's basically, the best way to put it is when you, it, it's, kind of talking about that feeling you get when you're you can relate to a song a little too much like a song about love or a song about heartbreak or whatnot and it's just a little too close to your ear or to your heart or whatnot and kind of hate you start to kind of hate when it you know when it starts to mean that thing for you or whatnot and yeah but uh (laughs) there was that time that uh uh, that Kanye ended up fucking them out of performing for Jimmy Kimmel, but they got to they got to make right with it. But good good old Kanye, that's my boy over there doing his big boy things. Um, I'm kind of sweeping through, I guess. But AM, I know I know Alex had gone back to play for uh, for for um, the last Shadow Puppets. They released everything you've come to expect after that, and that's in 2016. Don't forget, AM is 2013, and they didn't actually release the next album 
Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino until 2018. And that's the biggest fucking gap that they have at the time, man. Because they, you know, they stayed pretty active. And, like, you know, if they weren't releasing something this year, they would release it next year or maybe the year after. So for them to go from, like, you know, a two-year time period to this five-year wait. Because, like I said, 2013 to, to what? to 2018 because that's when tranquilly base hotel and casino came out it wasn't as so much that like you know arctic monkeys themselves did you know stop making music but alex and matt were both doing other things they were you know they alex went back to, to the last shadow puppets and you know he had went back in 2016 they had made you know everything you've come to expect and in that same year matt joined iggy pop which is fucking cool as shit to me, because Iggy Pop, uh, he joined that with, what's his name, um, uh, damn, oh shit, what am I saying, he, he joined that with, uh, Josh Holmes, and, you know, that's what, what blows my mind is, like, you know, obviously they, they had worked together at this point, but they went from these, like, low-level, you know, just guys just playing around in the small band and stuff like that in high school, all the way up to the point where they're, like, literally performing and playing with greats and stuff like that, and, you know, you know, uh, taking, you know, taking lessons or, you know, helping each other out and just having a lot of, lot of shit together and stuff like that. So, the band definitely needed a, a break. Alex was kind of burnt out of writing love songs and shit like that, and, you know, uh, at the end of the day, like, if, if you're burned out and you don't want to continue doing something, you should, you know, take a rest and fucking give yourself the time to actually, you know, recuperate or blah, recuperate, you know, but find, refine your fucking passion and shit, man. And um, that's why it's really good that I think that they, you know, um, continue to do things even outside the band, at least between Alex and Matt. Like, hearing Matt, he's really comfortable with himself and his life and stuff like that. And, um, you know, and I'm glad to see that he doesn't have to just be confined to the drummer boy from Arctic Monkeys. Now he's with Iggy Pop, Iggy Pop, and he did some um, production, actually. So now he's getting into production as well. He did that shit for uh, someone named Joe Carnell in this uh, album. His, I think I think it's Joe's first album. I'm not sure. I might be off with that, but it's called Good Cop, Bad Cop, if you ever want to check that out. But uh, fast forward, I'm trying to get through. I really want my pizza. <laughs> but now, nah, fast forward to uh, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. And, um, you know, that actually was going to be a last Shadow Puppets album. I think it started off with Star Treatment. Uh, Alex had, you know, had came and showed Jamie. And he's like, you know, he's kind of struggling. Because at this point, he doesn't want to make love songs. He doesn't just want to make another, you know, casual love song or whatnot. He wants something different. It's time for, you know, that big change and stuff like that. You know, it's time to kind of pursue something bigger than that. And um, I think he was... I'm not sure if he came with them to try and make guitar parts. Because Jamie is the guitarist, but he's also a keyboardist as well. You can play the piano. And um, either way, you know, they got together and, you know, basically had it, taken it from a Last Shadow Puppets, you know, solo Alex project into, oh, Jamie's helping me. And then I don't know where Nick and, and Matt are following suit. And now we have an Arctic Monkeys album. And, you know, they didn't try and stray away from, you know, the vision that Alex was, you know, trying to, trying to enact or trying to live out, excuse me, live out. But um, they wanted to add on to it. They wanted to, you know, 
make it into the band's album as well. And like I said, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino is really like everything that they had, you know, learned from the past all brought into one, you know, creative loop and circle and stuff like that. I truly mean that. And um, it's really a beautiful album. I really do appreciate it. And it took me like it took me a couple times to listen to it to get to this point. But, um, you know, I always liked four out of five. I especially like the Spotify single version of that song. But uh, from that to uh, oh, man, watching the creation of that song is actually really cool, too. Four star four out of five. And um, actually is a star treatment. Ultra Cheese is another one, too. Ultra Cheese is a really good song. I liked liked it a lot. But um going forward you know like i said it was really a a, a, um, a combined effort from not just them but also james ford a lot of extra additional artists this like they have there there was so much going on in the background of that album i could make like a little short episode just dedicated to them like like just talking for about half an hour about just that that one album it's like really dis- difficult to cover the whole history of it because it's so inspired from so many different avenues and so many different things like you know from not just you know not just other artists but also from movies movies had a huge example of over um you know he was looking at foreign films french films he was looking at americans yeah uh, the whole concept art of the album the the whole plastic or not plastic what is it cardboard cutout or whatnot it's a cardboard cutout on top of a uh, a record player or a record recorder or some shit like that i don't know I, feel like it was a record recorder i don't have the image in front of me or anything like that but uh when you see when you see the motion picture or like you see it you know it in real time or whatnot the little sign for the hotel spins and that's something that they took from vegas there's fucking um there's plenty of inspirations that they had pulled from that's that doesn't even involve music that came to create that album and you know the crazy thing about it is like like i said every every album that they had before had done before at this point had all been the top of the boards this is another album they have fucking six consecutive number one albums oh man ace subnautica just download it I'm about to fucking play that <laughs> but yeah anyways uh they have six consecutive fucking albums in a row. Or yes, yes, exactly that. Six consecutive number one albums in a row. And not just that, but Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino also brought back vinyl, basically. It and I'm not saying it ever left or anything. You can buy vinyls of just about any goddamn thing, but uh the whole thing is that it was the country's the UK's fastest selling vinyl for the past twenty five years ish. And so, you know, it it really just kind of throws me for a loop of how, like, successful they are. And um, they didn't really release any singles for this album. It just kind of dropped. I remember, it, I remember it just popped up out of the blue. I'm like, oh, cool. Well, let me listen to this. And uh, it wasn't until after, after they... Um, they had released the full album that they started releasing the 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 singles and i remember i think it was uh four out of five was the first one they did and it was a cool little music video the music video was weird as shit and i wouldn't i can't say it was weird as shit because i really did enjoy it it felt like a fucking stanley kubrick movie or something it felt like you were supposed to be like you know watching like a pseudo the shining or something like that it really gives you that same vibe and um 
I think only a couple days later they had released, um, was it a couple days later? I think a couple days later. No, no, it wasn't a couple days later. It was a while after. It was like a few months later. What the fuck am I talking about? They had released the music video for Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. And the title track, I guess. But uh, I think that one, I think that's the one where he shaved his head. <laughs> he, they're dedicated to the music, man. And I, I swear. But uh, yeah, James Ford. Like I said, uh, James Ford, he um, comes back to try and help the band with, you know, different things on the production end. And the album, the album just has so much goddamn history. And it has so many different, not only inspirations, but so many different hands in the pot. You know, it wasn't just the four, you know, main members and a producer. It was, you know, a, like almost a fucking army of people. When you go and watch the short film that they had released for it, I really enjoy it. I enjoyed it. What, what did they call it? Um, damn, what was the name of that little film? Because it was really fucking cool. It was, um, damn, I feel like I have to Google this right now. Yeah, I'll just fuck it. I'll, I'll, I'll fucking Google it right now. Right on it. Right on air. You guys see how fucking fucking prepped up for this type of shit I am. Let me see, let me see. Uh, but anyways, while I do that, I'm gonna actually try and figure it out and, um, or continue talking about the, um, uh, maybe I can't talk and, and type at the same time. But, um, whatever. There, There's two short films that they had released for it. One, one pretty early on in the, like, the album's lifespan, and then another after they I got done touring, I remember. I think I saw the, the, the second one first, and I was like, whoa, it gave me chills, but the first one, like, really, the first little video with, uh, you watching how they kind of come, like, how the album comes together and stuff like that, when they, like, start recording the, was it four stars out of five, or was it star treatment? Whichever fucking song, but when you see the process that they did, and there's, like, a ton of fucking instruments, the fucking Alex is drumming with Matt, <laughs> like, literally, you got two sets of drums, you had a bunch of guitarists, you had, you know, just so much going on, and they're all playing it together and having their own moment, and, you know, that's how the song created, and that's how it's recorded, and, um, there's, it, it was just really cool, man. I mean, it really sucked me into the whole, into the, the whole little universe that, you know, he had created. It definitely is the most passionate project, I think, that they had done, and they put in a lot of effort into it, and um, what blows my mind is, like I said, it's such a, like, huge change from AM. Like, AM did have some, some piano in it here and there, like how I said, you know, Mad Sounds was the Elton John, John track, and if you know anything about Elton John, Elton John without a piano is like fucking a fish without water, and um, that that same energy or whatnot is really like amped up in this album where there's just nothing but piano in every track, and and um, it was like the entire album was built around the piano first before anything else, and. Um, the funny thing about it is he only he, like he only got the the piano out of as a birthday uh, a birthday gift that will you know to help him go on to attempt it attempt you know to give him that inspiration to go and play something alex way back in the day uh, you know took piano lessons all the way up until he was eight years old and you know even though he you know he's very good with the piano and stuff like that you didn't see you didn't see it until a.m in any of his music really or at least in arctic monkeys you didn't see it until a.m and um and um 
to see like him come back all the way around to this, you know, to to play that. And he talked about how it feels like he's come back to that point of writing, like he did where he started. He tried to stray away from um, the the way he wrote, you know, favoring more. I don't know uh, uh, how to say it. Essentially. He comes back around to talking a lot more vague and a lot more, you know, uh, it sounds it sounds kind of contradicting, but vague and, and direct at the same time. And, you know, this album, like, is a it's just such a complete shift of direction. Like, let's say, for example, Matt on the drums. Matt actually talked about the drums being the drums on this album being literally the most difficult to play for him technically and stylistically because at that point you know he's already so adapted to the to the you know fast pace and you know um rock vibe that they give off in every other album and stuff like that like the same dude that played Brian Storm and created the you know created that or the view from the afternoon for example is now playing this like really slow and methodical kind of kind of song and it's not to say that he wasn't you know drumming before without intention or anything like that but this is an entirely different way of drumming and an entirely different way of playing the music is entirely different from everything that they had done beforehand and uh yet somehow it still feels like you know something that, like something that was like inevitably gonna happen and um yeah the old it was the ultra trees actually it wasn't it wasn't four stars out of five that they had recorded it was the ultra trees still got pictures of friends yeah, yeah it was the ultra trees that that they had um that they had in that um in that short film that I was talking about and I think it's worth it I wish I could pull up the name I didn't find it but uh I didn't really look all that hard to be honest because I wasn't about I wasn't about to add an extra two minutes of me just um yeah um yeah there's already probably like if you go back and you'll probably find like five minutes worth of me just going yeah you know uh yeah yeah but yeah it's it is what it is the tranquility base hotel and casino album is definitely and there's still more to talk about like i could tell you uh um shit alex you know, he had he had a fucking entire spare room dedicated where you know he was writing a lot of the music and stuff like that, and you know playing the piano or you know coming up with a lot of the ideas and concepts and shit like that. He called it the lunar, the the lunar, the lunar lunar landing. What the fuck, the lunar surface. Why? Uh, I I got confused because it's the first the first place that uh, we had stopped when we landed on the moon or it's what we named the location that we had dropped off when we landed on the moon the lunar surface and um you know there's just there's there's just a whole lot of history in just this one album and it's really just a beautiful kind of passion project between the entire band and you know the their their music and what they wanted to do and honestly i really feel like that like honestly if nothing else the ultra trees is just uh the one song ultra trees and four out of five are the two songs you definitely have to hear from that from that album four out of five being it's like the closest you'll get to in it to am i think she looks like fun she looks like fun sounds a lot like some shit that they would make off humbug or I don't know if I would say for a favorite worst nightmare, but did I talk? Yeah, I did talk about favorite worst nightmare. Yeah, I kind of went over favorite worst nightmare a little fast, and hey, man, hey, this I'm hungry. <laughs> but yeah, no, nah, it's been it's been real cool, man. I hope you guys kind of learned something and uh, can take something with you.
uh, when you come to think about the band or whatnot. This isn't like some fucking complete history and, you know, it's not some like super deep dive into the band and stuff like that. But it's just like a lot of cool, like a lot of the cool and interesting facts that I kind of had picked up on while I was digging into them. And I do have a lot more that I could talk about. But at the end of the day, how how long are you going to want to listen to someone droning on about that shit? And how long is someone going to want to drone on about that shit? So, you know, if you uh, if if this has somehow inspired you to, like, look into the band a little bit more or to fucking especially into their singles. Like I said, their singles have some of the best music that they that they have. Like a lot of them, I think, have some really damn good ones. I, I really liked uh their singles and their EPs, I'm talking about. Like, just their, you know, their their B-sides, honestly, do have a lot of really good songs on them. But just to give you that kind of inspiration to go and actually check out the rest of the band and, like, figure out, you know, a little bit more about the Monkees, I hope I can, you know, inspire that. And, uh, yeah, I hope you guys take it easy. It's been fun. First episode out. I do want to thank you know the people that did push me towards you know doing this and stuff like that there was a lot of support and um i you know from just even finding what equipment to use to the software and just you know sitting back and listening to my my journey as i come to record this shit i don't know how many times i fucking recorded and and deleted and re-recorded and you know just made little tiny adjustments and shit like that if i have to re redo this episode in the future when i got better stuff because like obviously i know i got issues and shit like that like my list but for one i man i hate listening to the but you know i don't got the shit to resolve that stuff right now so i definitely could see myself coming back and redoing some of my earlier work if i ever you know or whenever i um get the opportunity to once I make those improvements, I definitely want to come back and revisit this stuff. But, you know, I can't just, you know, I'm not trying to fucking sit here and wait for the perfect video or the, not video, but the perfect uh, podcast or the f- perfect episode before I push it out there. Because how are you going to grow unless you get that honest feedback? I, I already know that uh, some of the people from Reddit are going to, mm, they're going to roast the fuck out of some of my facts. But or be like, yo, why didn't you add this? Why didn't you add that? And I think that's cool too, because there's a lot of stuff that I still don't I don't know about them and stuff, and I definitely want to hear it and shit like that. I definitely know there's a lot more interesting shit. Like I did, I know I I, I mentioned them playing at the Olympics and shit like that, but they they've played some really really high level sets and shit like that. But eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, this is interesting facts, not fucking not. Let's just go jerk off the Arctic Monkeys for 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 a couple hours. <laughs> Alright guys, I hope you take it easy, and uh, yeah, like I said, thanks for fucking listening, and you know, fucking cool, hope you liked it, I hope you uh, come back, and uh, yeah, let me know uh, what you think, I'm definitely, definitely fucking, especially if you got like suggestions for things like equipment wise, or you know, just stylistically or whatnot, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, but, uh, alright man, I think I'm out. (laughs) Peace! Take it easy.